0: Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan. It's Ben Ennis. It's Blake Murphy. Uh, Blue Jays open up on the road uh, in St. Louis, and then they go to Kansas City, and then they go to Anaheim. So you got those late-night Blue Jays games out of the way early on in the season. <sighs> You get Shohei and Trout right out of the gate. It's amazing. Sure. Like, sure. this is how I'd imagine it.
1: Thursday, everyone's, like, peak excited. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, home opener on the 11th, everyone's going to be peak excited. Friday, everyone will just be despondent that there's an off day after yeah. you've gotten the tease yeah. of baseball. But by the time, like, the second week rolls around and there hasn't been a home opener yet, I think people will probably be itching, like, yeah, let's get baseball live. Like, let me let me be there. Let me check out the new park, things like that. And then, boom. If you were having like a tiniest of lulls in your early season excitement, here's Shohei and Mike Trout.
0: Yeah, no, that's going to be spectacular. And then you return home, you get an off day on Monday, and then uh, home opener on April 11th against the Detroit Tigers, which will be, uh, I would say, um, well attended, would be my guess. Yeah. As the, we we'll get be there. to see the new dimensions. Yeah, we're, we're going to be at Sports Night Grill. Uh, broadcast Oh, I'm live. more meant we're going to go watch the game together also. Also, that.
1: We're gonna, can we do both? Yeah, we have to do one of those things and we may as well do the other. So
0: it's a great point. All right. Um, You may recall uh, our next guest um, had a pretty cool little moment in uh, 2007 when he plunked Alex Rodriguez. (laughs) uh, After Alex Rodriguez had earlier that season yelled mine behind uh, Howie Clark uh, causing a ball to drop. It is Josh Towers, former Jays righty radio host for VEASAN joins us online. How's it going, Josh? I, I
2: didn't even know that happened, guys. What was that story you just told <laughs> Dude, uh, I... I, I, I Mr. Alec.
0: Yeah, I, I know you've probably told that story and talked about it uh, many a, a time, yeah. but I've this is the first time I've talked to you, so can we talk about it? Because I yeah. love that moment. I mean, yeah. how, do you, how do you feel about it in retrospect?
2: Listen, I, I've told the story a whole bunch of times because it lingered for a couple of years, and I... You know, the last fight, I was wearing a Yankee uniform fighting the Blue Jays, and I felt very uncomfortable doing that. So I kind of stayed on the outskirts and didn't really get involved. But, um, you know, the best part, and this is the part that's left out the most, y'all, is in Toronto when that happened, when I drilled Alex on accident, um <laughs> they were they were advertising a video game like mlb the show or whatever it is and so the seventh inning stretch two kids would go up there and play real quick <laughs> during the seventh inning stretch so the next day they set it up to where i was pitching and hours was hitting and one of the little kids drilled them oh, the great. whole stadium just goes crazy it was beautiful
0: I- yeah I love that, and that, and you. You were eventually team man. You're a World Series champion. Uh, you got a World Series ring. Uh, being on that that '09 team, uh, did you? I know you only spent a, a brief moment on that team during the regular season. But did yeah. you? Did you have a relationship with A Rod after after that uh, brouhaha?
2: Yeah, how crazy is that? They hooked me up with a ring and everything. I didn't earn it, but it was fun. You know what? He was um, he was the first guy that came up to me when I got there to say hello, welcome to the team. Um, and Alex and I had a relationship, and he was very he, – he knew. I mean, it was he crossed the line, but he knew. And so we never really had to discuss it. I mean, I think the welcome to the team, uh, there's many times we'll be on the treadmill together or something, getting a workout in, and it was just one of those things where it never went discussed, but he respected the fact that I had to do what, he, what I did, and he knew what line he crossed. So it was cool, and uh, it wasn't about maybe – a year and a half ago, I'm gonna say I ran into him here in Vegas. Uh, not enough time for that story. I'll tell you off there one time, <laughs> but I ran into him here in Vegas, and and again, very very respectful. I mean, we have well, I wouldn't say we're friends. I'd say we're acquaintances, but it was um, it's good, man.
0: Yeah, I, I I bet you a man with with uh, with his wallet could probably have a, a decent time in in Las Vegas. <laughs> so yeah, th- 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 yeah those those were. Yeah, those were some interesting Blue Jays teams, and man, that that era oh six oh seven. There was John Gibbons mm-hmm. getting fights with with everybody, whether it was Shea Hillman or Ted Ted Lilly. But they, and you know what? There's some decent teams in there too. But yeah, attendance wise, it was pretty low. Period. Um, here's where they ranked in American League attendance over the, the span that you were a Blue Jay oh three oh seven. Uh, they were tenth, tenth, eleventh, eighth. Yeah. Seventh, And then, you know, made the playoffs in 2015 and they were first in the American League in consecutive years. I mean, when you were a Blue Jay, Josh, did you ever think that that Toronto would rekindle the love for for that team that that existed in the early 90s?
2: Yeah, that. I mean, listen, it's a, it's a fantastic town. It's probably one of my favorite cities in the world that I've ever been to. The fans deserve a good baseball team. The stadium itself is beautiful. Um, but listen, when, when, when you don't show up and you're not doing your job, and I'm asking fans to come support us, it's kind of tough. Like, we have to give something back. And we didn't for a little while. Uh, we had Roy Holiday, who, who drew well, and that was always fantastic. But we needed to, to play better. And when your opposing team, Yankees, let's say the Boston Red Sox, or even Seattle, when like Ichiro would come to town, when they're drawing more fans than we are in our own stadium, it just it's just, it's a wake-up call to you, that like, alright guys, we gotta get our, our ducks in order, and we, we, we owe these fans. And so you always knew, like, it's such a beautiful place to go. It's such a relaxing when the dome's open, the sun comes in, you have a couple drinks, and you watch a good baseball game, and what Toronto's done so well the last, what, five, six years is they've created a buzz again with all these, uh, the Bichette's of the world, right, and and the Bigios and obviously Vladdy. And we created this buzz again with these prospects, and the prospects are living up to some of their capabilities, and then we're forming a team. Pete Walker's been fantastic as the pitching coach, and we're putting a team out there that is giving themselves a chance at or an opportunity to win each game. And so it gives the fans even more of a reason to show up. Listen, when that stadium is packed, it is unbelievable. Like the energy and the, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it, but the the excitement, like you try to, we try to go stoic on the field, but when I got 40, 50,000 people standing up cheering in that stadium when you're on the mound, it's 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 a beautiful sight.
1: Nah, stoic's not the right way to do it. Let let it get let it help you get like one more tick on the fastball or, or something like that. Um
2: oh, jo- 3 or 4.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially when you're throwing at rod accidentally. Um so Josh, the the Roger Center is going to be a little bit different this year in terms of uh how it plays and what it looks like. The the wall distances and, and heights and things like that are changing. If that I, I don't think that's something that you, you went through as a as a pitcher, but you did change teams a couple times. Do you think about that mm-hmm. as as a pitcher heading into the season of like, oh, I'm in a new environment now or might play a little differently, how does that affect my game? Is that something on your radar?
2: Yes. So to get serious for a second, like I always tell people if it's if it's if it's mono we mono, right? If it's it's my physical abilities versus your physical abilities, uh, and I'm just trying to throw a fastball by you, let's say, I'm not going to win that fight. Like, we have to get creative, and we have to get advanced with our thoughts. I mean, there's guys at every level of the game that have the same exact stuff that I had when I was in Toronto, let's say. I mean, my son in college has better stuff than I did in the big leagues. But what do you do when you're facing somebody two, 300 times? What do you do when you're facing Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter two, 300 times, David Ortiz, when you're in the same division year after year, you can't pattern out. I can't go to a certain pitch in a certain count every single time. You have to get a little bit more creative and, and you have to take shots. And so where's the advancement on what makes somebody a professional athlete or somebody, a professional baseball player. And now I got to factor in rules. I got to factor in uh, the way the body works, the way the brain works. I got to, I got to go to, to what I know you like or what you don't like. I mean, there's games going on in the field internally that people don't know. But, you know, if I if I have a little insight or if I see you out or if I see something, I might make a comment in between pitches that no one knows I said, but it irritates you just a little bit. <laughs> or if I know that I can't go middle away to Derek Jeter Yankee Stadium because it's like a jet stream right there, um, but I have an extra 10 feet because let's say we moved the walls back in Toronto or something, then I'm going to switch up the way I pitch to him and I'm going to try to get him to pull a little bit more in an uncomfort zone for him, where I bought myself ten feet. I mean, the game is it's built so beautifully, but any advantage I can get, I have to get. And I just I just got off a flight. I went to San Francisco this past week. Um, my girl and I went, and I was we drove by Oakland Stadium, and I was telling her I was like my favorite place in the world to pitch. If I can pitch her every year, I would. And she asked why, and I was explaining the foul territory. You know, I get so much more foul territory there than where every other stadium in the world, that ball is in the stands, and so these guys get an extra couple pitches. That's a disadvantage for me there. You don't get that. That foul ball, that's an out, and you're out of the game. And so you have to use anything that we can. Uh, listen, Rule Muto last night or whatever it was when he got tossed, that umpire clearly was mad at them. So, if I'm the opposing team, I'm taking
0: advantage of having that up high on my side for an inning or two. <laughs> no, that's a great point. Right? Yeah. It's mean, where
2: it is, where it is.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I, I guess when you pitched in Oakland, maybe they didn't have the, the sewage problems that they've yeah. had in recent years. Because <laughs> to me, yeah, as, as well as you may have pitched there, like, yeah, maybe being covered in human feces is probably not worth it. But yeah, it, it, yeah different, no, different deal.
2: Just
0: listen, a W in the big leagues, a little human species, I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, talking to Josh yeah. Towers, one of one of the weapons guys can use now, and like I'm thinking of a guy like uh, like a Chris Bassett, who who like you is yeah, thinking mm-hmm. man's pitcher, right? He's he's not throwing 99. Is is the the pitch clock and and making guys uncomfortable, and we haven't seen it weaponized yet. I mean, we have to a degree, but. Let's see what happens starting Thursday. How do you think that's going to be a, a, used by pitchers like Chris Bassett against the hitter?
2: You're going to see who's a professional, true word professional, and who's just going about their their day and doesn't care. Uh, it, how much time do we have, boys? I'll talk about this forever. Listen, it is a beautiful, Take as long beautiful as you want. thing. When I came up, with, yeah. When okay, good. When I came up with the Baltimore Orioles, I tell the story multiple times as well because of this. When you came up with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Sid Thrift implemented what he called the 12-second rule. And the studies they did said that if I threw a pitch, let's say down and away to you and you fastball down and away and you swung and missed, if I was able to throw that same pitch within 12 seconds, the success rate for us getting a very similar result was at 95%, whatever studies. We didn't know this as kids. We were just told to work fast. 12-second rule was it. So that's what we did. I watched this my whole career because – that's how I worked. I worked very fast. I didn't need a lot of time. I didn't want to waste a lot of time. And if you ever watch pitchers who take 30 seconds in between pitches, it gives hitters time to reset. It lets them process what just happened. It lets them smell that bad. It lets them think about what you did last time or what they just watched on the iPad, et cetera. It gives hitters the comfort to be where they want to be, and it, it takes your defense out of it. It's very bad for us. This implementation of the shot clock, giving me 20 seconds or less, what it does is it rushes the hitter. I'm pitching once every five days, so I should be able to process everything within 15 seconds anyways that I need to process, right? So I sit around half the time and I'm reading my notes on the bench. This is such a great thing for pitchers because it keeps us in rhythm. It keeps us from not thinking about negative stuff. It rushes the hitters. When hitters are rushed, the tendency is to swing; it's not to take. And so, it—I I get what MLB wants to do, but they always offset it with something crazy. Do I think y'all do? I think this is good for the game of baseball. I think it's bad. I—I I, I think it's bad for the game of baseball. But it is fantastic for pitchers. It's going to keep the runs down. It's going to rush guys, and hitters are going to hate it. And then, as we saw in spring training, you got Max Scherzer. Manipulating the rules a little bit to where hitters can only call timeout one time. And so if I hold, I hold, I hold, the longer I hold, the longer you sit there with me, the more that bat gets heavy, your hands get heavy, your shoulders get heavy, the more you get complacent, your feet feel like they're in, in concrete, and you get sluggish. Your your bat speed is going to be slower. It is, for many ways, when you talk about the sprawlers, it is not a good thing for baseball and for hitters, but it is a fantastic thing. For pitchers. Also, Joe Kelly came out and said something about all he does is sit up at night and think about the way the rules are written and all the different ways that he can manipulate the rules as well. And he was talking about something where um, if he needed the clock to be reset, like you can drop the baseball and it automatically resets the (laughs) clock. So I don't know how well they wrote the rules, but it's going to be major baseball is not going to like it for a while.
1: My my favorite potential loophole that I've thought of is if a pitcher, you know, you said a pitcher should be able to to process and things like that. But say one of these guys that throws super super hard just needs a little extra breather in a big moment. Have the catcher throw down to first behind the runner just to like buy him some extra yeah. time uh, before the clock starts. I did I did want to ask you about the running component of this because you mentioned you know a uh, Max Scherzer messing with the hitter to try to bait that first time out out of the plate appearance early. We have seen that with base runners a little bit trying to do that to the pitcher trying to bait that throw over to first base, one of the two disengagements that a pitcher's allowed. Um, You're someone, Josh, who controlled the running game pretty well when you were in the majors. Um, How do you see that having an impact on on someone on the hill if a runner's, you know, trying to not just steal a base, but trying to get you to disengage and get your focus away from the hitter to tilt that advantage back for the batter? Yeah, well, they'll
2: win on some people because, again, some of us are very lazy and (laughs) don't understand it. The other thing is, and I don't even say that in a negative way. But the other thing is, is we always like, for whatever reason, we want to rush, win or hurry. I come set, I want to go. And so the more we rush or hurry as pitchers, the worse it is, right? My arm's going to be laid and my weight's going to be distributed wrong. I'm going to lose a little power. The ball is going to be up. One of the best things, probably the very best thing you can do when controlling the running game is hold. The longer I hold, especially if you're stealing, it's no different than stealing stuff from the store. Like, you're antsy. You know you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. You know you're doing something no one else knows. And so you get a little bit antsy. You start to lean. Your feet get a little bit let's go. You want to do it now. And so the longer I hold, the more you'll start to lean or the more you might jump a little bit early. And then I got you. And so... What we do as pitchers, the bad part is I'll come set, one 1,000, go. Come set, one 1,000, go. Mm-hmm. Well, the more I pattern that out, whether it's one count, two count, it doesn't matter, that's keeping these runners in rhythm. That's keeping their, their, their feet moving. That's keeping their timing where they want it. I don't care if you're a one-two. If you keep them there, they're going to steal easy. But now the same way I'm stalling out the hitter and getting his hands to be heavy uh, and getting him out of his comfort zone, which is a lot of reason why we hold as well, I'm going to hold for the runners so that they get a little antsy. So now I'm actually I'm, – I'm controlling the running game so much better. They're going to get antsy or they're going to get flat, footed as soon as their body or feet stop, they can't do anything. The hitter's shoulders, hands, whatever, they're going to get heavy. It's putting them both in a bad situation. This is something that we should be doing as pitchers anyways, but we don't. The other thing is the longer I hold, the more I'm going to breathe. And if I take a breath, it relaxes my body. The more relaxed I am, the better position I am to succeed or throw the best possible pitch. Um, When guys start to trust this, pitchers who are used to going fast, and there's a lot of guys who do hold anyways, but when they really start to trust this, there's, again, it's like the trifecta of putting ourselves in a little bit more successful place than the hitters and the runners. Uh, Again, I haven't seen too many negatives on what I think these rules are for pitchers i see really just positive having gone through it and it being a big part of what i thought about when i played
0: yeah that would be a little bit counter to what major league baseball is going for i mean the time of game is is still going to be down but i i think they they want you know guys getting hits and, and runs on the board but uh, before what you were going to interject there josh i
2: mean no, I'm just saying for Major League Baseball, like, again, the one purity of our sport, right, is there's no clock anywhere. Yeah. If that's the one thing that makes not it anymore. so beautiful. But, well, yeah, right? But you're trying, to, you're, trying to, you're trying to get the fans to stay into the game when they have a cell phone in their hands that gives them the access to the entire world. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible. You're not going to beat the cell phone. So we've got to respect the fact that we're doing something right to get them there in the first place. And then let the, the quality of the game itself, let, let that be the reason why they want to come back. But if we're trying to implement rules like this to keep the fans in the seats and off their cell phones, we're never going to win that battle. Mm. So again, I don't want to sacrifice too much of how beautifully this game has been built over the, de- over the centuries. Um, just to try to keep somebody off their cell phone during the course of a nine inning baseball
0: game. No, you're, you're always going to lose to the cell phone. Cell phone always wins. Have you yeah. seen a cell phone? Like it's it's, it it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's all right, <laughs> you are Mr. Vegas. Uh, you live in Vegas. You you work for uh, Visa. So before we let you go, we got to get uh, your take on on the Blue Jays at plus thirteen hundred to win it all. Third favorites in the American League, behind only the Astros and Yankees. All right, do you like uh, this team's chances to win it all this year?
2: I love it every year coming in. I mean, look at our pitching staff, right? The pitching staff's great. These young kids that we've relied on are starting to come into their own. You add guys like Chris Bassett who are fantastic. If I'm not mistaken, my boy, my man, Yusei Kikuchi's had a pretty good spring. Mm-hmm. We get guys, Kikuchi, who's like let's say, say Yusei's our fifth. I can get like Japan's number one, number two, something like that to be uh, the Blue Jays' fifth. We're in a great spot. The other thing is you got, Boston, whose pitching is not quite there, so they're going to kind of be mm, again, right? The offense is cute, but it's going to be okay. Uh, Baltimore's young, but they're still not ready to win. I think that there is a fantastic season last year, but I don't know if they built on that enough. And then you got the New York Yankees, who I like them. They're a great team. On paper, they're even prettier. But you got Severino, you got the lefty they just gave all that money to. They're both starting the season on the shelf. Right? So however long they're out, then you gotta come back. You're missing two key guys in their rotation for at least a month, right? So the Blue Jays, I'm not saying it's it's the thing that has to happen. But if Toronto gets off to a really good start in April, then I think it's kind of their division to lose, to be honest with you. I love Tampa. I love Kevin Cash, we know that. But it's it's we're playing with fire with that team, right? We never have a starting pitcher. We usually have one, maybe one and a half, and then like, there's a lot of, you know, luck involved with them consistently winning the division with the way they approach it. So, listen, at 13-1 to 1 or whatever it is, I think Toronto's, they're kind of in the driver's seat with what they want to accomplish. There's It's not about having to beat another team. It's whether they beat themselves.
1: I know you refer to the Jays as we, but I also know you have a, a history and a relationship with the Orioles fan base. After what we saw from them last year, were you a little disappointed they did, they didn't get a little bit more aggressive to kind of take that next step in the East? But they haven't
2: done that for a while, right? They, they've done such a good job of having these high draft picks, and they did a really good job with who they selected. Like. The development has been better, but it's only been better with these top prospects. It's not I didn't see development pass or before those particular kids that we're seeing all get close to the big leagues, with Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, who just got sent down, but they're next. I, I like this team. I like what they did, but they're not, in my opinion, the Baltimore Orioles aren't looking at, we have an opportunity to win right now and for the next 10 years. They're looking at it like, okay, we're going to do it with these kids, these prospects that we developed and drafted, and that's it. That's not the right way. Like, they could have complemented this team with just a couple key pieces here or there. And I think that they're they're very much in discussion for this division. They held on longer than we thought last year. But you 86, you know, their closer, Lopez, was fantastic, you don't bring anybody else back in. They needed to hit a couple, a couple. I don't even say home runs, just a couple doubles in free agency. Their reliance on just what they have, and listen, their prospects are legit. Yeah. But you know how it is with young players. We're years away from, from them doing it on their own. You have to bring in some veterans and some other guys to, to assist. And that's the one thing, last comment about the New York Yankees. I mean, talk about Severino and Rodon being out. But they have retail. They have depth. Depth becomes one of the most important things we can have through the course of the season because we're not relying on just those nine guys that we started the season with. So when you can add depth, when you have guys on your bench that can be a starter anywhere, that's when our team is really good. And again, I say we, you're right. The Jays have a little bit more of that than they've had in the past, which also makes them dangerous.
0: Josh, this was a lot of fun. Um, it'd be even more fun to hear all those Vegas stories of all the major <laughs> leaguers going through your town. Maybe one day, like you can do like a pay per view podcast of that or something. Listen,
2: I'm uh, in, but I got I don't know, man. I don't want to tell too many stories.
0: I know, I know. Thanks for this, Josh. This was this is awesome. Thanks. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. This is Josh Towers, former Blue Jays righty, radio host for uh, Vison, Las Vegas resident no doubt has seen a thing or two in his day man the 12 second rule thing i would never heard in my life which makes a ton of sense i mean you don't think mark burley maybe benefited from that a couple of times throughout his career like that's th- i remember doing a, a breakdown of what what made mark burley so much better than everybody else there was two things it was one fielding his position was mm-hmm. like hugely impactful to a guy that like allowed a lot of hits you want me to do it Yeah. It's like having a fifth infielder out there. Very good. Him and Sean Markham. But
1: honestly. Shortstop at UNC. I don't know if you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Marcus Stroman. Uh, Also a a college shortstop. But yeah, no. That's part of it. So defense. Fielding your own position. But getting the ball and throwing it back at the hitter as quickly as possible. If you're not throwing 100, it can be a huge advantage. It also, also improves the defense. Like, I don't know if anyone's actually done any stod- studies on it, but like anecdotally, you you play better defense when your defenders feel like they're not going to be stuck out there for a half hour. I certainly know that that is the case uh, in slow pitch. You play a semi-competitive
1: slow pitch, and your pitcher is... I don't know, me kind of hung over and you can't find the the board and your fielders behind you get real sleepy, (laughs) uh, half a coffee into the day. So I'd imagine it's the same for major leaguers, just uh, with the intensity dialed way, way, way up. I'm thinking now too, like even something like not fatigue because these are major league hitters obviously and if they have to take a couple cuts in a in a plate appearance, it's not gonna wear them down. But I'm trying to think of even like being in the batting cages, how quickly those pitches come in and what it would feel like if you just turned up the like the tempo. Not the pitch speed, yeah. but the tempo at which they're coming. If you would Like, I I would imagine at
0: best your swing mechanics get a little sloppier. Man, just, I mean, again, different, not apples to apples, but look at the home run derby and and how exhausted those guys Mm -hmm. get from just taking hacks. A, A baseball bat is heavy. Yeah, it, it takes an effort to swing. it. Well, I think that if we
1: didn't have Luke Robitaille on next, I'd say we should ditch the last half hour. And you could just go throw me some some pitches out behind the building. <laughs> and I'll uh, Sounds like I mean, if you, can, radio. if you can get one across the plate, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see if the tempo of it uh, picks up. But you are right. We have
0: Luke Robitaille next.
1: Yeah. A guy who once had such a high shooting percentage in the NA, in an NHL season that it would make an OK batting average,
0: which is pretty rare. Uh Yeah. Uh, He he was pretty good. Uh, That's why he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, He's also president of the Los Angeles Kings, and he joins us next. The Fan Drive Time continues. Ben Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
2: Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet five nine, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. So we've been sitting on Leafs, Lightning for seemingly months, and like what order it was going to be in, I suppose. Who had home ice advantage in Game Seven was was up in the air for a period of time, which was interesting, I suppose. I kind of feel
1: like we have known this was going to be the first round matchup since the second the Leafs were eliminated last year.
0: Yeah, that's that's not unfair. Uh, Seven-point lead the Maple Leafs now have on the Lightning for home ice advantage in that first-round series, and they have a game in hand. So now even that is locked up. And the Leafs actually officially clinched a playoff spot yesterday because the Panthers keep losing. Like they, I know the Senators are still nominally alive, but that's a team that you should beat if you're uh, a serious contender for a postseason spot and don't control your first-round pick, and they lost. Uh so the least benefit by getting that X next to their name? They do.
1: And uh, you know, I mean, from a pure hockey entertainment standpoint, I, I think I'd rather see the Penguins in that final spot and get a get a Crosby series. Yeah. Rather than Florida. No disrespect to the Panthers, but Getting to see Crosby try to do it one more time, even if it is another first round playoff exit, which they have almost as many in a row as the Leafs. Uh, They had a cup at the start of that run, though. This is the big difference there. Um, Yeah, I don't know. The playoffs are, I guess it's that time. Like like a lot of teams have fewer than 10 games left. So maybe it shouldn't be surprising that we're seeing X next to the Leafs name now. Um, but we're we're also dealing with a, a basketball season where there are seven games left for most teams, and there's a ton up in the air. And yeah, in the NHL, I mean, I guess it's good for for sport for the sports all around that there are playoff spots up. But the Western Conference is pretty much done in the NHL. Too. Well,
0: okay, so this is where I wanted Other to go than with seating. this. Sorry, uh, no, but this is where I wanted to go with this because yeah, there, there's still matchups to be decided, especially in Pacific, because the the Oilers, to a lesser extent, but certainly the Kings are alive for. The, the top seed in the Pacific Division, only being two points back of the, the Vegas Golden Knights. But they're sitting in second in that division, ahead of the Oilers, who are three points back of them. Now, this was reversed a season ago. The Oilers finished second in the Pacific, and the Kings finished third. And those two teams had an epic first-round series that culminated in a Game 7 Edmonton-Oiler victory on home ice in which Connor McDavid did the thing that you're allowed to do and single-handedly win a game. He had two points, including a goal, the clinching, I mean, not the clinching goal because it was a 2 nothing win, but he had the 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 salting away goal um, to make it 2 nothing. And I, I mean, you can make the opposite case for why the Leafs should care about having home ice advantage in a game seven against the Lightning because they lost game seven on home ice. But I wonder how much the Kings care about Certainly like having a, a a better advantage being the top team in the Pacific against a wild card team and avoiding Connor McDavid altogether would be good impetus but having home ice advantage in game 7. Yeah, I think it's probably a
1: bigger deal to avoid Connor McDavid and and the Oilers versus home ice. Like I think fighting getting on par with Vegas and passing them is a bigger priority than just fending off Edmonton because I, I think the gap from, at least in a playoff series, given what we saw from Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl last year, like the the drop from Edmonton to Seattle or Winnipeg, however, that shakes out and they're still seeding at, at the top of the West to figure out. But yeah, I'd be much more confident going into a series against uh, Seattle or Winnipeg than I would be against Edmonton because you got the best player
0: in the world. That's yeah. not a very... <laughs> Good thing to have to go against. No, and it's not the NBA where a single player can. I mean, it can. I mean, not all, not single handedly, but give you a pretty good uh, upper hand in in winning it all. But like again, when you're as good as Connor McDavid is and has been in the postseason, and again, a game seven in which you only score two goals, the other team scores none. So that's part of it. But that you're responsible for both goals is a uh, pretty significant. Now that being said, Connor McDavid currently riding a two-game goalless drought as his Oilers beat the Coyotes yesterday 5-4. Only one one lousy assist, but uh, still find themselves battling tooth and nail for that two-spot in the Pacific Division against the Los Angeles Kings. Speaking of whom, let's talk to uh, their president. Hockey Hall of Famer Luke Robitaille joins us on the line. How's it going, Luke? Yeah, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing all right, yeah. So we just laid out the situation that your your team finds itself in uh, going into the the game in Calgary tonight. That you guys, I mean, there's so much still on the table. You could finish at the top of that Pacific Division. Um, you can have home ice advantage in in a potential series against the Edmonton Oilers. How important are these these final regular season games for for your Kings team?
3: Uh, I mean, you know, they're all important. But I think that the number one thing we got to do is focus on getting in. You know, and then. We're getting close, but it's not there yet. Once 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 that happens, then you want to focus on, you know, you you, you want to finish as high as you can, and then let it play out. But uh, those are like you're saying. Uh, I think we're all aware that this week is definitely a big week because we're going to be playing against all the teams that we could possibly face in the playoffs.
1: So. A big part of your team's success this year has been, I know the goaltending has been a little up and down and the Jonathan Quick situation was a tough one around the trade deadline. But at your very best, that you have a top line that is pretty darn effective at shutting down uh, opposing top lines while also giving in a little bit of scoring. Um, Andre Kopitar, a huge, huge part of that with this time of year in mind, do you start thinking about, hey, what is our own guy's case for, say, the Selkie, if not the Selkie, maybe the Lady Bing? Because, you know, numbers-wise and certainly eye-test-wise, Kopitar would seem to be in the mix for uh, Selkie consideration, I think, this year.
3: Yeah, I mean, we we certainly don't think so, us, because we we see what he brings in every game. You know, like, he, he plays against the top line. He's on the PK. He plays... Over 20 minutes, some nights nice 23, 24 minutes. So we know how important he is to our team, and we're certainly well aware that probably if he was back, East, he'd be in the talks like all the time. But if you ask any players or anyone around the league that plays against him, they'll tell you that uh, he's one of the toughest guys to play against because he's a he, uh, on top of being a great offensive player, he's a great checker. And uh, you know, for us, like uh, as he goes, our team goes.
0: Yeah, but he already has two. So, like, time to share the wealth here. And and you know what? Patrice yeah. Bergeron has all of them. Because we're talking about Mitch Marner being a, a Selke candidate. It is a, it's it's a, it's an interesting award, uh, Luke, because, yeah, I mean, part of it is you have to be two-way player. So, you have to be a pretty good offensive player. So, we can identify that with goals and points. But the other part of it, like, there's no real good number that can identify how you play in your own zone. I mean, you mentioned PK and, and yeah, the number of minutes that you play. But, like... That is tough. You you almost you do have to watch a guy's entire season really to, to get a good sense of that, don't you? Yeah, there, there's a lot
3: of numbers out there now that you can you can pull out. You know, it's a lot easier today as it was, let's say, ten years ago that you can break down a guy defensively, how many times he either takes a puck away or cuts a play and so forth. They're all out there, so it's a little bit easier. I, I agree. with you. I think uh, Mitch had a the kids had a great year. So is Matthews. I just think that like, uh, the way our team goes is just like if it weren't for for Kopi, it'd be it'd be a lot different for us.
0: Yeah, I would just say that you know, talk about takeaways. Mitch Marner leads all forwards with seventy at, at five on five. No, I mean they're they're both good candidates, but like I said, like yeah, why not why not give a, a guy. His first kick at the can. Um, one award that we're we're not like gonna have to have a discussion about is the Hart Trophy. Like Connor McDavid is yeah. obviously gonna win it. I mean, it's it's just a question as to to whether he can get to some insane number like seventies. So again, two game goalless drought, so still sitting on sixty. But you know what it feels like to to score sixty goals. Uh, it's a different era now, and you've seen plenty of him this year within your division. You saw more than enough of him during the seven games that you guys played in that yeah. first-round series last season. Can you put into perspective what Connor McDavid has done this season? Uh,
3: it's it's hard to put into perspective. I mean, it's, he's really, like, a, way above anyone in the league. He's a very special player. I mean, well, we were talking about that yesterday. You could maybe, you know, in the Gretzky era, like when the, you, you guys remember in the 80s when he came in, I mean, he changed the game. And then there was Mario. I think before that you could maybe... Talk about Bobby Orr because his numbers were so much above everyone else on the defenseman. He's he's part of that you know famous four that in the last forty fifty years changed the game, and he's one of those very very special players, it's fun to watch every game. Every shift he gets on the ice, it's incredible.
1: So you did play with Gretzky. You can kind of compare uh, what those players are, are like, and at least what the. You know, you, you played with Gretzky during an era where scoring around the NHL was uh, a little higher. You had unbelievable shooting percentages yourself. Um, when you look across at the Oilers, um, how do you see Connor McDavid changing things for teammates? Like, how does he open up the game for others? How did Gretzky open up the game for you? And I'm sure there are some challenges that come with that as well as the advantages.
3: Well, you got to know that every time he steps on the ice, everyone's got to be aware of it. He's part of every meeting before every game, which people don't realize how much focus there, there is on on those guys. And uh, But when he gets out there, he brings there so much speed, and you can see right away the defenseman has to back up. So if you're a smart player that's playing with him, you just get open because he's got to find you. And it's as much as it, his scoring is incredible this year, he, he finds a way, he, he finds a stick that's open on the ice at all. Everything about his game is above, you know, anyone else.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, he was pretty good in the seven-game series overall against you guys, and especially in Game 7. And it looks like we're headed towards another great series uh, between these two clubs, uh, Kings and Oilers, second consecutive season, I mean, we're going to get another Leafs-Lightning uh, series in the postseason this year. How many years in a row do you need it? Or is it even, I'm, I'm talking about rivalries. Like, how, how how much history do you need between two teams to start considering it a rivalry? Like, would, would the Kings, I mean, divisions play a part of it as well, that you guys play each other so often during the regular season. When can you consider uh, a two-team matchup a rivalry?
3: I think usually a couple of series because usually things will happen. And then uh, both both sides, the fans will remember. I mean, obviously, if one year one team wins, and the next year the other team wins, then it becomes right away a rivalry. If you win both both years, you don't think of it as a rivalry as much as the other team does. But, uh, you know, usually within a couple of years, like I remember, I think 2011 and 12, we played the Sharks, and it became a huge rival. Then the next year, it seemed like every game was a lot more intense. And kind of hoping and uh, i know the talk's been that we play more games w- within the division and i think from that standpoint it's going to be good
0: yeah i mean the the greatest rivalry i can think of is avalanche red wings from from my youth but that was like other stuff like i don't know if we can ever get back to, to that type of rivalry luke where you had like the physical element of the game because it's it's so diminished like can we ever get to you know, you know back to claude lemieux chris draper stuff
3: well, no, because, you know, today, I mean, the suspension would be incredible. So no one no one wants to get to, to that level, but to the point where it'll be physical and really hard and, uh, you know, playing real hard, absolutely. So there's a, there's this... A, I, hope, I hope no one, no one crows like anyone into the board. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, fingers crossed on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you might see a little bit of that in the postseason. All right, um, so, so there's this this little clip that's floating around social media here in Toronto that's making some waves of Sheldon Keith tapping Michael Bunting on the shoulder over the weekend uh, when he was on the bench and him like kind of reacting, kind of ignoring him, um, and maybe like a little bit of a back and forth, maybe some animosity between the the coach and the player during the course of a game. I mean, what is your experience with that, and 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 how? How how are uh, those relationships between coaches and players in the middle of a game, maybe a, a coach trying to relay a message, and is that unusual to see a player maybe ignore his head coach uh, or at least look like he's ignoring a head coach in the middle of a game?
3: Uh, no, it's not unusual. It happens, and, you know, you get heated in the moment, and sometimes the coach might have told you something a ship earlier, and then they went out there, and, you know, you might have made the same mistake or the fuck bounce, and, and so forth, but that happens a lot. I saw the clip. I, I think the kid was listening. <laughs> he said, you know, he might have not been staring at it, but he was listening. I can tell you that. And uh, it's it's part of it. You know, you're just uh, you get heated, and the coach wants to tell you something, and he, he, he keeps telling you. But you know, I think as long as you don't see the player turning around and answering back and being disrespectful to the coach, you know he's listening. I'm sure he was listening because it sure sounds like Sheldon was talking
0: out loud yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a guy that uh, appears to be uh, quiet uh, in those situations you wouldn't want that either uh luke this was yeah. a, this was a real pleasure i uh, can't wait to watch a potential rematch between your team and uh, and the oilers and you know what we don't have to wait that long to see you guys match up in the regular season in a couple of days uh, after uh, tonight's game in calgary uh you're headed to yeah. uh, edmonton as well thanks for doing this
3: okay thank you
0: guys great talking to you likewise there's luke robitaille hockey hall of famer president of the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, he gets to watch from the other side as Connor McDavid uh, tortures his club on a nightly basis. He was on the uh, positive side of the ledger playing with Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, he's high sticking people in faces and then making Stanley Cup finals.
1: Yeah, I'll never forget that. We don't we don't love to do the referee talk, um, not because it doesn't matter or anything like that, but because nothing will ever top that. No, that's it, won't. it. There's that. And there's the Ben Revere strike, Carl, and nothing, nothing else. Could come close to those two in terms of heartbreak and and burning themselves
0: in my memory. Um, Speaking of teams who have a rivalry against officials, the Raptors are in action tonight Mm. uh, against the Miami Heat. And uh, there was some question as to whether Kyle Lowry would play in tonight's game. He was questionable, but he will play Dealing with a knee injury, he's not cleared for back to backs, I guess yet. But uh, Jimmy Butler's out for tonight. Yeah, game. and
1: they're bringing him off the bench, or have been at least. Um, Gabe Vincent is questionable tonight, so that's kind of calling into question. Well, can they still bring Lowry off the bench with Gabe Vincent and Jimmy Butler out and a handful of guys down with their G League team who made the playoffs and uh, you know are still going down there? So uh, we'll see when that starting lineup comes out and if Gabe Vincent's able to go. But yeah, it's been a it's been a quite a tough year for Kyle Lowry. It's been you know, one of those years where even if you don't love the return and it's fine, Precious Achua and a piece that turned into the right to trade a first for Thad Young and and then, you know, have him sit on the bench because he's got a contract incentive about to kick in or whatever. But when you talk about, you know, giving Kyle Lowry that next deal and, and, you know, three years at pretty big money into his mid to late 30s, there aren't really a lot of players who, well, Be honest, there are no players who prior to Kyle Lowry had a Kyle Lowry like career path and figured it out a little later and worked under the workload that he did, but maintained it at a small size into his 30s. Like there just was no precedent. Um, But what you're worried about is maybe something like this where uh, the performance has dipped a little bit. The three point shooting still kind of hanging on, but not quite to the to the same level. And now you're looking at, yeah, he's capped around maybe 20 minutes and, and uh, you have to be a little careful around back-to-backs and things like that. The nice thing for the Miami Heat, not only are they tied for the six seed right now with Brooklyn, so they could ostensibly get guys like Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler a couple extra days off by avoiding the play-in tournament. Yeah. Uh, that would give you a handful of extra days, four by my finger counting, mm. um, which
0: would be great for them. Also, there are no back-to-backs in the playoffs. There aren't yet. Uh, no, there there never will be. Uh, I because the Nets and Heat have the same record. I'm assuming that the Nets own the tiebreaker, and that do they play again this season? I'm not sure. Um, the Nets do own the tiebreaker, um,
1: and that's set. I have a an extremely convoluted breakdown of. Seeds six through ten and how all those tiebreakers work out. It's ridiculous. It does make tonight's game a little important for the Raptors. a two A two way tie with Miami is fairly unlikely, uh, but the Raptors would lock up the tiebreaker if they win this one, um, which is great. If they lose it, but they'll be two and two in the season series, though, yes. right? So, but, what happens then? Well, there's almost. Not almost no chance, but very little chance of the Raptors catching the Heat if they lose tonight. So it's unlikely oh, to matter. But true. from there, the Heat would win a tiebreaker by way of being the division champion if they pass the, the Atlanta Hawks. Champion. Yeah, there
0: are this the gets, division still exists. Can gets, you even sort by division? Oh, you yeah, can. Yeah,
1: it gets convoluted <laughs> really quickly. So with those five teams, the Hawks own the tiebreaker over the Raptors. The Raptors own the tiebreaker over the Heat and the Bulls. But the Bulls own the tiebreaker over everyone else. Brooklyn owns the tiebreaker over the Raptors. Uh, it can get messy quick the likeliest outcome is toronto atlanta chicago all tie for eight nine ten like if we're talking convoluted tiebreakers and the raptors finish ninth no matter what mm. in that three-team tiebreaker so whatever um, as long as you're a
0: top nine you you get two kicks at the can no if, if you're ninth, oh, you only
1: get one kick at the can but you get the to top it. eight
0: yeah top eight uh gets two kicks at the can yes can kicking uh is for the the top uh, seven, and eight teams in each yes. conference. So uh,
1: here's what all the tiebreakers tell me, basically. Okay. Uh, you want to win tonight's game, and you want to, because in the scenarios where you tie the Hawks, or you tie both the Hawks and the Bulls, uh, the Raptors are not coming out as the number one in those tiebreaker scenarios. So you got to clear those teams. If you mm-hmm. want to be eighth mm-hmm. so that you get two kicks at it, including one, uh, one of those games at home, if you lose the first one, uh, you gotta you got to get to eight on your own. No what, ties. What, what if I want to be 30th? Like what? What Too
0: if? I, okay, because that's you got to move to you got to move to Texas or Detroit. All right, because uh, I kind of would like that. But hey, uh, hey, Raptors can uh, hit the five hundred mark for the first time since December 9th. tonight. They were thirteen and thirteen back uh, way when they have had five opportunities since then to get back to 500? I think they're 0-5. They are 0-5 because (laughs) they have
1: not been 500 uh, since then. Doesn't sound like, uh, or not doesn't sound like, Gary Trent's not going again tonight, but they do have um, Scotty Barnes and and Precious Tachua back in the mix. So um, you're also looking at this point in the season, seven games left to start to figure out what some of your rotations look like. And, And that starting five that we became familiar with continuing to work on the continuity there. I've been pretty glib about, what these games mean and things like that, but I do think anytime you are playing the Heat, uh, a team that you are jockeying for position with, with tiebreakers on the line, with Kyle Lowry, who's always fired up for yeah. these games. No, I, Jimmy I,
0: Butler, you got to win this game. Must win, not must win, must win. No. But I
1: do think this <laughs> Me, is must win. This is like look at the rest of the schedule. Okay, you are playing yeah. Philly on Friday. Who they're already into like rest Joel Embiid if it's if but it's too two laborious, Charlotte. Uh, two Charlotte games, and then Boston, Boston, Milwaukee, who probably yeah. have their seeds locked down by that point. This might be the last like. True iron sharpens iron mm. game left on
0: the schedule. I, I know you're rolling your eyes, well, but I mean, the, the, like iron sharpens iron, or, or like litmus test. Like the the test is okay. in. Like it's already been graded. A, a big like,
1: floppy salami sharpens a big floppy <laughs> salami. I, I don't know. I tried to think of something that's not iron, but you could bang together. I, I
0: don't. I don't know. But like, look, I have gone with like a styrofoam sword, sure, or, something. or pool noodle, yeah, whatever. Um, lot. I've been pretty.
1: I'm very hungry. <laughs> (laughs) Um, I, uh, yeah, I've been pretty, not (laughs) negative, but just like agnostic about what any of this means. But I do think like, if you wanted to take something from these last couple games down the stretch in terms of standings importance, in terms of actually trying a real rotation against a team that has an incentive to play well
0: in this game, this is it. Yeah. Okay. And, Yeah, I guess we're running out of games for Jeff Doughton Jr. too. No, we're not, though. Listen, <laughs> you want to you calm the waters on Jeff Doughton Jr., let people know that it's okay, he's gonna be fine. I just want re- you know what,
1: I'm not gonna say it, <laughs> I'm not gonna say what? what I want to say. Yeah,
0: okay. just uh, be careful with your cat math, that's all. Okay, so you would say, but no, I assure the people that the, the Doughton Hive does it, does the Doughton yeah, Hive the- have a nickname? Uh, no,
1: um. I was trying to do reasonable doubtings. I don't, I don't know that is. Did you just come up with that? Well, I had a Photoshop of, of Jeff Z reasonable doubt from (laughs) earlier in the year. Um, no, I, I think, look, he's got four NBA games left by my count. If you converted, if you waived someone and then converted him at the end of those four games, uh, that leaves you with like five days left in the season. The tax hit for that is going to be between forty-five dollars and $50,000. The Raptors, even if that Young were to hit some incentives that don't seem pretty, like, uh, pretty likely at this point, uh, you're clear. You're you're going to duck under the tax, even if you have to waive a Barton or Wieskamp or Banton or whomever okay. uh, to convert Jeff Doughton. I just, I, I'm... Part of me is thankful that I get to come up with new CBA wrinkles that no one had ever really thought to look at. Because when was the last time a team headed to the playoffs was relying heavily on a two-way player? Uh, but here you we know, go. This thing should not should not be a thing.
0: There you go. All right, time now for last call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Uh, let's focus on that Heat Raptors game as the Raptors at home against the Jimmy Butler-less Heat uh, are favored by three and a half. Points. Um, how about a, a baseball future before we go? Blue Jays, I mentioned third favorites. They're plus 1,300 to win the World Series. And that was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Now, you're, you're going away? Yeah. and uh, I'll see you Monday. we will see you Monday. Do you, uh, you want to drop in for a little radio appearance maybe this week? Maybe yeah. on opening day or we'll something? We'll see. We'll see what... Uh, oh, you're what, not going to commit? Well,
1: we'll just make sure the... Louisville's finest bourbon establishments can uh, <laughs> can put Jay's Cardinals on a TV for me. That's
0: all. All right. I can't wait to hear that appearance at the uh, bourbon establishment. All right. See you. Bye-bye.